The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. This is our f***ing city. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Good morning, Boston, and what's up? It's a lovely day here in Westwood, Massachusetts at the palatial studios of Pod 617, conveniently located... Two miles from Route 128, although i got to tell you, the road from Route 128 to our address here at 745 High Street, there are a couple of really bad lights there. You might be uh, stuck there for a little while. My guest, uh, Kelly Proya, is nodding. Kelly Proya, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, what Kelly, do- Kelly is a friend of mine. I've known her for a while. Um, which is why this show is nicknamed Friends of Dave. Hey, isn't that great? Uh, but uh, so Kelly is uh, awesome person personally and had, does something very interesting professionally. So for those of you who are lawyers or know that um, no lawyers that are kind of frustrating and what frustrated in what they do because it can get pretty boring. It's always cool to hear someone who has discovered an interesting niche to uh, interesting way to use their law degree. I'm talking, of course, about myself. Thank you very much. I'm taking a bow, and I'm leaving the studio. Thanks. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Boston Pot. No, I'm just kidding. I'm talking about Kelly. So Kelly founded her own company called Lodgucate. That's L-A-W-D-U-C-A-T-E. It's one of my favorite made-up names. It's really good. (laughs) And the idea, I'm not going to speak for you, but the idea is to educate lawyers on how to present themselves, how to market their services, how to bring in business. Am I getting warm? You are very warm. All right. Tell me a little more. So um, basically, I help lawyers practice law better. Mm -hmm. So there is two parts to every law practice. You have the technical legal work that you do as a lawyer. So I was an intellectual property lawyer for 16 years, Mm. Uh, hence the made-up name because (laughs) they make the best trademarks. Yeah. So I um, did, you know, trademark work, patent work contracts, negotiating, all the stuff that lawyers technically do. Um, But you can't make a living just doing that work because it's like being a great chef. If I make the best souffle or the best, I'm the best baker and I make the most awesome cake in the world, Mm -hmm. if I can't get anybody to actually, excuse me, come and uh, eat at my restaurant or come to the bakery and buy my cakes, it doesn't matter. So it's the same with lawyers. I could be the best lawyer in the world, but if I can't get a client or enough clients to make it worth my time to actually do the legal work that I want to do, it's a problem. I totally get it. You teach lawyers how to bake souffles. Absolutely. No, wait. No, <laughs> you know, I might have missed a little bit. No, it, exactly. And that is, um, I mean, tell me if you agree, that is a real um, flaw, sort of, in the, in the practice of law because they don't teach you, you might pick up a couple things, but in general, in law school, you, you don't learn how to market yourself. You don't learn how to raise your professional profile. Um, in the old days, it was like really lawyering is a profession. It's a practice, you know, and we That's don't absolutely. advertise. 
right? It's absolutely that. And it's still a lot of that, unfortunately. Some of the law schools are putting in more practical classes. Um, I actually teach one at Suffolk uh, University Law School. I teach 21st century lawyers. Oh, cool. Um, but primarily, we still teach lawyers of, um, according to a methodology that was implemented in the 1890s. Yeah. So it's a very um, theoretical, it's the case method, yeah. it's, um, we're all trained to be very good appellate attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I sometimes joke that, and I say, well, I distinctly remember my marketing class in law school. So I went to law school in the mid '90s, graduated in '98, and people look at me like, "You had a marketing class in law school?" Oh, like, you were you weren't kidding? I thought like, you were kidding. No, I am kidding. <laughs> but right. So I say, oh, I, I distinctly. Oh, it's remember. a way to get into the conversation. Okay, so you fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> so I distinctly remember it. Yeah. And it was basically, um, I graduate law school, uh, take the bar exam, mm-hmm. pass it get a job, and my phone rings. Yeah, of course. And I answer the phone, and the person on the other end tells me their legal problem. <laughs> they hire me instantly. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I do the legal work, and then I send them a bill, and they pay me. That's right. Like Simple as that. It's as simple as that. And that was basically how we all thought it worked, yep. right? Like, there was – nobody said it didn't work any other way. Exactly. Nobody ever said – you know, you might have to go market your legal services or you might actually have to sell. Yep. You have to sell yourself or your services to, to a client. And it's really um, – so most people go to law school who, who go to law school. I was a political science major. What were you? Communications. Me, so, and, me, and, the fo- <laughs> me and the football team. Yeah. So um, <laughs> most of my students, English majors, political science, history – uh, American studies. We're liberal arts majors. Yeah. We went into that because there is no math. Um, yeah. At least, you know, that's the old joke. Right. And it's this thing where... Pre-law is a myth at most oh, colleges. Absolutely. They, don't, they don't really have it. Like, <laughs> But yeah. most of us aren't... Uh, some may be economics majors, but most of us aren't business majors. Right. Like we didn't go to, you know, to school for marketing. You know, every so often there's an engineer in law school because they want to be a patent attorney or something. But primarily we're liberal arts majors with very little business background. So and to compound on that, we um, are professional students up to the point where we graduate law school. Mm-hmm. So we might have had some summer jobs, um, but we didn't pick up any real business knowledge in doing right. that. Even if you even if you have a summer job at a law firm, you're not going to be exposed to marketing or networking or anything like that. No. Rare anyways, yeah. Very rare. Yeah. Um, so you end up uh, graduating law school with a degree, and you're all of a sudden now it's like, well, you're a professional. Go be a professional. Like, yeah. But what am I a professional at? Yeah. I wasn't actually taught how to practice law in law school. Right. I wasn't taught how to be a lawyer, build a law firm, do anything practical. Mm -hmm. So we're expected to go into this profession and be apprenticed under older lawyers, established lawyers. But what do they apprentice us in? Bad habits. Yeah. Old school habits that they've learned through the years. Like we're a profession that um, we're taught as if it was the 1890s. We practice as if it was the 1950s, but we live in the 21st century. Yeah. And how are we supposed to... Um, handle things like the internet, yeah, smartphones. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still argue with law firms who say, "Well, you know, my ni- my 
my year 2000 website is still good. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it's an image of uh, a construction worker in a manhole that says uh, <laughs> coming soon under construction, coming, coming in 2002. Yeah, um, it's amazing how many things that, lo- that lawyers don't know. Th- this in a regular series called Law School is Bullshit. Brought to you by the Boston Podcast Network. Sorry, law school friends. but And it has changed a little bit, but it's amazing how you've said it, how theoretical it is. All the things that you teach lawyers are things that, that simply aren't taught in law school. Of course, the other thing that is, isn't necessarily taught in law school is how to actually talk to a client, uh, develop a case strategy. You might get a little of that in trial ad. Uh, you don't have to take any course that that allows you to practice going into court and arguing a motion. You don't, um, maybe one. And I'm there might proof. be one. Yeah. I never took evidence and I never took trial practice. Right. I graduated and, law school with neither. Yeah. And that's, and I'm not saying anything revolutionary here, but it is such a sharp contrast to something like the, the medical field, which has its flaws. But one thing it gets right, in my opinion, is it, you're brought along. It, you're you're learning on the job, so to speak. I'm I'm sim- simplifying it, but and if the medical field followed the law school uh, method, you would sit in a classroom for three or four years, however long it takes, and then you walk in the next day. They put a scalpel in your hand and say, "Go ahead, cut this guy open." And and it's like, well, yeah, that that's a good idea. It, it's, but <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's this, yeah. it, so if. The equivalent would be, you know, going to medical school, reading books, never actually right. seeing a human body. You got it. Uh, or the, inter- the internal workings of a human body, right. but only looking at books and theory about yeah. it. And in some cases... Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, so that's what a spleen looks like. Interesting. Right. So <laughs> I've seen pictures. So and then all of a sudden, you know, you graduate from med school. You're now doctor so-and-so. Yeah. And here, yes, go take out somebody's appendix. Yeah. Well, that doesn't look like that in the book. <laughs> right. And you wouldn't want to be the patient on the gurney, obviously. Right. Yeah. But in law yeah. school, like I, like, you know, I always say I never took a course in family law, but I could have graduated from law school and hung out a shingle and actually started practicing, you know, family, family law, law or any, yeah. any, yeah. any type of law. Pretty take much. it as <laughs> any yeah. type of law. Yeah. And that's actually, in my opinion, scary. Right. Like, and I know we have things like, you know, malpractice and, and you know, all of that type of stuff to protect the public from it. But shouldn't we be doing a better job educating the lawyers so that they're better at practicing law? Yeah. Because a lot of the things that lawyers like stress over, it's not the legal work. It's n- it's never the legal work that gets them, or rarely, I should say, that gets them into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the business side of it. It's they don't call back the client. They don't admit when there's a problem. They don't. Um, they handle a case badly because they ha- don't man. They don't have a like maybe a software management system that brings up you know the due dates or whatever. So or they, you, you miss a deadline. You miss. The, I mean, right, you, you, you don't miss a deadline. You don't miss a deadline because you didn't know what the law was. You missed a deadline because something's wrong in your system and That's you screwed exactly it up. That's yeah. exactly Your systems and processes as a law firm or as, you know, in your practice are wrong. And that causes the most stress. It's So if I'm doing um, the legal work that I love and you're just sitting there, you know, writing a contract or you're drafting a patent application or you're, you know, helping somebody in court, whatever it is. And that's the stuff you went to law school to do. Like, mm-hmm. like that's what being a lawyer is. The stuff that stresses the lawyer out is, 
my phone's not ringing, I don't have enough clients, um, how am I going to make uh, payroll this month? How am I going to pay my paralegal? How am I going to pay myself? How am I going to do you know pay the rent? Just and it's we we're not taught any of that. Right. But it's but it really is the crux of you being able to do the work that you love. If you don't do this well, you're not going to. It's hard for you to do the other thing too. Yeah, and it's it's kind of weird. Like you see the the lawyers that advertise on TV. So I, I grew up, went to summer camp with this guy, Jason Stone. You you may have seen his TV ads, Stone Cold Law. <laughs> yes, I'm making fun of you, Jason. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, so he he doesn't try cases. He's the... Um, he takes a referral fee. Yeah. And he, well, his, his people in his firm do try cases. Hmm. But the, the, the thing is, like, you would say, well, isn't that terrible? You went to law school and now he's not even trying cases. And actually, there's a there's a element of it that makes perfect sense. He he just was better at the business side than the actual law side. And so it may very well work for his firm. In other words, he's the face out front. He brings in business. Um, the law degree gives him, you know, some in, some integrity, a sort of pedigree. And then he gets it to the people who want to just sit back and try the cases. They may not be very good. Anyway, it's but a plan. It, it's a plan. that. But, makes, but, but actually, that makes perfect sense. Right. Um, you know, because people are going to hate when I say this, but a law firm is a business and every business has five parts. So um, we're really good at value creation. We know we, we sell legal services like we, you know, we create we sell these legal services that people want to buy. Right. We do really bad marketing. We are horrible at, at the marketing part of it. We have zero sales. We don't do any of the sales part. So that's a lawyer a, would never call it sales, would never want to no, call it's, it sales. Well, see, I call it, so it's called business development. Oh, and good. I actually call <laughs> it, um, so when I teach this, um, I actually called it the Lord Voldemort uh, yeah. syndrome. It's he who shall not be named. Right. So we, we've made up a name for sales and we call it business development. <laughs> it really does sound so much different. But yeah, of but course. It's sales. It's sales. And everybody needs it. Hello. You, like you said, the phone doesn't ring by itself. But not only that, what lawyers don't realize is they are literally the best trained salespeople in the world. Now, why do you say that? Because we sell for a living. They're bullshitters. Uh, no, I didn't mean it. <laughs> no, oh. we actually sell for a living. And sales is basically helping people get the solution that they need to a problem that they have. It's not the smarmy thing you think of with the used car salesman. Um, so That's the exact definition we used to use when I was at Lawyers Weekly. It's it's filling needs. And, and, if, yes. and a lot of people will say that and not practice it. In other words, you know, I've seen salespeople, good and bad. I've seen some that come in. And the good ones, when they sit down with you, They'll start asking questions. They'll just keep asking questions. They learn about you. And the shitty ones, and I've seen them, will come in like with a pack of you know paraphernalia and some stuff he wants to show you and say, so I got a lot of interesting things to show you today without even asking a question. And it's like, Ugh. And lawyers, lawyers tend to actually do the second part, you said. We, t- we, we are great salespeople in the sense of non-sales selling. We're not selling ourselves. But when we go before a judge, when we go before a jury, when we reach out to opposing counsel to put our, you know, case forward. Right. What we are, that advocacy is, is it's a sales job. Sure. We are telling stories about our clients and we come up with a sales pitch. Right. Basically, this is our version of the events. Do you buy it? 
Right. Like, you know, when we go before a judge or a jury, do you buy our version of the events? And like, it goes to the point where even like we're all in sales and it's. You sound like Tom Cruise and a few good men. <laughs> this case is not going to be won by the law. It's going to be won by the lawyers. A case is a sales pitch. It so absolutely. when you pass me papers, do it crisply and I'm murdering the line now. <laughs> But you get the point. Yeah, it's a sales pitch. It's absolutely a sales pitch. And, you know, it gets to the point where it's like when, you know, we're basically, um, there's a concept, we're all in sales today. So when I, when my daughter who hates eating anything green, right. you know, when I, ha- you know, when we put a couple pieces of broccoli on her plate, it's like, we've got to sell that broccoli <laughs> to her. You know, it's good for you. All right. like, but it's wait, hold on, hold on. We're 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 yeah. missing a, an opportunity here. Okay. okay. I'm 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 gonna play your daughter. Your daughter's eleven, <laughs> right? Yes. And you're gonna play you, okay? Yep. And this is gonna this may be a very short uh theatrical production, but um and you're gonna sell me the broccoli. Okay, here I come. <laughs> Hi mommy. I love you so much. You're the best mommy in the world. Oh my god, what is that on my plate? That green thing. It's broccoli. Oh, you know I don't like that, Mommy. Can I just have chicken nuggets? No. Okay. We have to try the broccoli. Um, it tastes so bad. It's going to make me sick. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> so what I would say is dip it in ketchup. <laughs> you <laughs> Wait, we're allowed to put ketchup on it? Absolutely. All the ketchup in the world is not going to make this piece of crap taste good. No, I'm just kidding. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> and end scene. Or we, you know, or So it, ketchup, that, that's... Uh, it's a solution. That's a solution. Sure. It's a solution. Most of the time, it's usually... How about uh, melted cheese? That's how I sell broccoli to myself. See, that's... A, <laughs> we haven't tried the melted cheese yet, but sometimes it's a piece. She literally cuts it up in little bites, and she'll have it, like, mixed with the rice or mixed with chicken or okay. mixed with something. Like, it's, it's, it's a little piece of broccoli and yep. <laughs> something. But it's... You, you know, we basically have to say, it's like, look, you're a growing girl. You need your vitamins. Broccoli has vitamins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, you, you've got to, we got to expand the palate. This has to happen. See, so. when, uh, early days when um, my kid's mom and I were parenting, it was usually, she would default to just eat this and I'll buy you a new video game or whatever, which is which is a, a cheap trick. I have an idea though. I have an idea for the for the broccoli. See if you like okay. this. So kids like um, concocting stuff a lot of times. They like sort of creating stuff, you know, finger painting and whatnot. What if for the broccoli you got like three different kinds of spices? Nothing too crazy, but like you know. I don't know if onion salt's probably that's probably too spicy, but like a paprika or a this or a that, and like you had three different things, and you're like, see if you can find out what combination of these tastes the best. Of course, this probably ends in the kid throwing up, and it's a terrible <laughs> idea. But you get where I'm going with it. it you know, it's how about the, food coloring? So you know, one day you could have purple broccoli, next day have so red people broccoli. have actually suggested that maybe she try growing some vegetables. Oh, that okay, that's a better idea. But. And, but I do like because then she takes pride in the process in the process, and, you, process and yep. you eat them, you know, because you grew them. But I would probably kill anything that's <laughs> like we grew. So. You're afraid you don't have a green thumb. I do not have a yep. green thumb. Um, so, but it's this. I like the idea though of kind of maybe finding a, a seasoning or something that makes it at least palatable. Yeah, like that could work. 
that could work. Yeah. Like the other night we tried to have her eat Brussels sprouts. And I, I feel for her because I didn't like Brussels sprouts until very, you know, until the last like decade or so. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I feel not, the same way. I like them now too. Nice I do. Yeah. I like them now too. But uh, when I was 11, like even salad, I was like, I wouldn't need a salad at 11. Now yeah. I'm like, I love salad. <laughs> that's one where she, right. That's one where she could participate in the cook. Cause like if you do Brussels sprouts, you can, a lot of oil and, and salt and pepper and you right. kind of mush them around, put them in the, in the oven. I, I want some Brussels sprouts right now. <laughs> um, so we could talk all day, Kelly, but we don't have all day. Unfortunately. Absolutely. So just before I forget, yeah. people can find you at logicate.com. Cool. That website, once again, L-A, you know what, go back, it's a podcast, go rewind and listen to when I said it the first time. No, I'm just kidding, I'm going to give it to you, logicate.com, L-A-W-D-U-C-A-T-E.com, uh, on Instagram, on Instagram or Twitter? No, I'm on Twitter. Twitter, on uh, Twitter, at logicate, it's spelled the same way I just did seven seconds ago, and if you want a email address, Kelly with an I, right? Yes. Kelly with an I, which is the cool way to spell it, shout out to my cousin, uh, Kelly Fallon, she's awesome, also with an I, Kelly with an I, at logicate.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Chami DePerel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships. Clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. Go to pod617.com to start planning. And in the meantime, listen to the great shows they've already produced. The Irreverent Bitchless Bride podcast. The hilarious show known as Shawshanked. And the Wild Trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we trust. Before we shift gears, maybe one, if you can, one success story. Like picture, you don't have to tell us who it was or what firm it was or whatever, but some lawyer that you worked with that came to you kind of clueless when it came to all these concepts and then was able to take a step up afterwards. So a lot of the people who come to me, they, um, th- they're they at a transition point in their career. So a lot of it is they've been a senior associate and they want to like make partner and they don't quite know how to do that. Like it's this thing or they're, um, they've gone from a small firm and they're switching firms and all of a sudden the new firm expects them to double the amount they billed last year. Right. So I had a situation with an attorney who went from a small firm to a mid-sized firm, and he probably did about between six and seven hundred thousand in originations. Like that was, mm-hmm. and he and he came to me and he said they want me to do one point two mm. at the new firm. And Wait, he, what was the old number? Sorry, between six and seven hundred thousand. So basically double. Double it. Yeah, and. You know, and he knows you've got about a year runway, like, to do mm-hmm. this. And he, so he's, you know, it's a, it's that whole fear of, okay, will the clients that I had follow me to the new firm? So will I even have that base to jump off from? Or will I be starting actually at less? Right. Um, and so basically we we talked it through. We came up with a strategy for him to go out. How do you find clients? How do you network? How do you leverage the network that you have? 
Um, how do you actually uh, pitch your yourself? And mm-hmm. two of the things we we realized: one, he had to sell himself to the members of the new firm that he was now a part of. He had to actually go and say, "Hey." Um, because one of the things was it was a new practice area for the firm. They had never had this practice area in the firm. And some of the people at the firm were kind of skeptical that this was even a good idea for the firm to expand in this direction. So he had to actually go sit down, sell himself to the, um, you know, his now colleagues. And also he had to go outside the firm and be like, hey, I've joined this new firm. Here are the benefits to my, you know, especially to the old clients. Here's the benefits of sticking with me in this new firm. Mm -hmm. So it was like, and then he had, the third part was he had to actually now go get new clients because the old clients weren't going to be enough um, to make up that, you know, to basically double his, his originations. So with that approach, he was able to, by selling himself to his new colleagues, he was able to get them to, you know what, I have a client that, um, you know, I do this part of his legal work, but you obviously can do that part of Opportunity his legal work. Opportunity for him, right. Yep. Right. So um, they were willing to uh, to refer him oh, so to their cool. own clients. Yeah. Then a lot of his clients stayed because we created the pitch Right. Um, for him to go to the old clients and say, these are the benefits of you sticking with me and now the new firm that I'm with. And then we had another um, strategy of where else he could go in the market to find new clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so putting all that together, he did, I think, 1.8. Wow, come on. He ended up with. That's an awesome success story. You deserve a round of applause for that. Um yeah, I, it's it's interesting because I imagine a lot of people come to you with that bewilderment of where do I begin? Like Absolutely. I got to I got to double my clientele. Um, what where the hell do I start? And you know, I use I was I've been in in had a sales component to everything I've done in my career. It wasn't until um, I was trained at and it was uh, at Alliance Bernstein. Um, so shout out to Alliance Bernstein. I don't work there anymore, but whatever. Uh, anyway, th- th- there was a one class we were in where we were learning how to be financial advisors. And uh, shrewdly, they taught us as much about marketing as they did about the markets. And one guy just said, it's a numbers game. So, And I'm saying to myself, well, it can't all be a numbers game because if you're a jerk and you don't know what you're talking about, you're not going to bring in clients. But after I heard this guy speak, I was persuaded that um, – Personality and know-how is important, but it's it's going to be lost if you don't have a plan. And he put numbers to it. So he said, you aim for 15 meetings a week. You might not get them all. They might not all be super valuable to you. They're certainly not all going to be clients. Some of them might be able to refer you clients. Some of them might be helpful in some other way. So you do those 15 meetings, and then what do you do? Immediately afterwards, you evaluate, that person was nice, but they're really not going to be of help to me. I'll keep them in my Rolodex, but that's about it. Or... Yeah, you know, uh, had an interesting talk with a guy. Maybe I'll follow up with them in four months. Or this person is going to send me all kinds of business. Um, I'm going to make sure I have contact with that person at least once a quarter. I'm going to, even if it's just coffee or even a phone call or maybe even just shoot at the person an email saying, hey, I saw this article. I thought of you. Right? It's totally true. So I tell my clients I have a um, 3515-1 rule. Oh, I like this. (laughs) So every month, because lawyers... Great salespeople would do this once a week, right? But 
we know lawyers are busy people, so right. I have done this once, I say once a month, three in-person meetings, mm-hmm. five phone per calls. Per week? Per, well, I tell lawyers per month. Per month, Because okay. when I tell them they're per week. They're starting at zero. Right, they're starting at zero. <laughs> yeah, right. but, I, but think about it. If, you do th- if you're not doing three meetings, uh, in-person meetings a month now, three times 12, you know, 12 months, yep. you got... 36 at That's that right. point. So mm-hmm. it's way more than you did before. So right. you're you're jumping off somewhere. Right. So um, five phone calls, mm-hmm. 15 um, emails or actually handwritten notes. Ooh. I, and they could be thank you notes. So you they, get a bonus point for the handwritten note, yeah. You, you ought to know what? Today you actually do get bonus you points do, for the handwritten note because people get – don't get handwritten notes anymore. So it actually right. does stand out more than sending Look at, an email. I, I, I saved mine on the board here. I'm pointing to the board where there are these two cards, very nice cards, people thanking me for having them um, as a guest on this podcast. You don't have to do that, Kelly. Your presence here is thanks enough. <laughs> and <then laughs> Guilting the, inter- Where's my card? Oh, sorry, so the last <laughs> right. one, though, is the one. And the one is what I call an unexpected gift. Oh. So I like sending books like to people, yep. but it's one of these things where you meet somebody and they'll tell you, say, they love a certain type of chocolate or they, you know, something about themselves personally. The best thing you could do is a couple weeks, a small box of chocolates show up on their desk. Right. Or, um, you know, I, as I said, I like sending books. Books are great because they're that you're going to pick a book that's of interest to something. They're interested, and that means I was listening to you when you told me you like fishing, even though fishing's <laughs> freaking boring. But you like it, so I'm going to send you a book about fishing. Magazine subscription, you can do the same thing. I do that actually. I've sent um, some cl- some clients of mine. I send them uh, a subscription to Success Magazine. Mm. Um, and it's all, you know, they feature really cool people on the cover. I mean, Jeff Bezos was on, um, you know, Mehmet Oz, you know, Dr. Oz. They have, you know, they talk to really cool people about yeah. what makes them successful. So I'm hoping it, some of it might rub off yeah. on, uh, on the attorneys. But, yeah, I think um, – but if you follow the formula and you just consistently do it every month, you've now marketed yourself – to way more people than you otherwise would have in a more meaningful way. Right. And it's not marketing. I mean, I, I totally frown upon the marketing where you would, you know, buy an ad in, you know, the Boston Business Journal. And it's faceless. It's right? faceless. Because yeah. the thing about marketing is marketing is passive. That type of marketing, you right. don't know who saw it or who um, skipped over it. Like, you don't know right. what interaction anybody had with it. And that that's the reason... Lawyers actually prefer the marketing over the sales. Sales is personal. Sales, you actually have to have a conversation. There's the opportunity of rejection. Nobody likes being rejected. So we avoid the pain of rejection. But the, the, you're only going, every time you get a client, you've made a sale. Right. Right? Yeah. So you actually should embrace sales because without the sale, you have no clients. Yeah, exactly. But right, in a t- in a newspaper ad or whatever, like it will work for Jordan's furniture if they're all their furniture is 40% off this, you know, Labor Day weekend or whatever. Exactly. Um because that's out to the masses and there's a there's a very specific call to action. You can't do that for professional services. You know, you're not going to say 40% off your first <laughs> your first divorce or whatever like um but and and really you're buying the it, it is literally professional services. It's it, it's in a matter of speaking, it's personal services. The person is going to be the one counseling you and dealing with you. So it, the person needs to come alive. You need to, you know, eventually you need to see him face to face. Well, a lot of the times 
like we hire people based on gut. We hire people because we just like them. Yeah. Um, so you, yes, it's it's a person. You know, it's a personal choice mm -hmm. as opposed to which couch do I buy? It's a little right. different. Like yeah. you know, I sit in one. Oh, that feels good. Sit in the other. That feels good. Like right. Like yeah. But when you're hiring somebody to handle one of the biggest problems in your life right now, I mean, there's all. There's two types of problems that keep people up at night. One is uh, maybe three, so financial, but um, legal and medical. Mm -hmm. So if you have a bad medical diagnosis, that's going to mm -hmm. necessitate going to a doctor. Um, but if you have a big legal problem in your world, that's going to cause just as much stress and pain as um, having you know a financial crisis or having a, a medical crisis. And but we do a really bad job as lawyers of attracting people and saying, hey, I can help you alleviate that really bad legal problem. I'm really good at that. That's what I'm trained to do. We kind of hide and we wait for people to find us. Oh, they'll find us when they have a legal problem. Right. But they don't find us. It just sits and festers a lot of the time. And what we're seeing actually in the in the legal industry, and people are going to crucify me for that, saying industry. So it, um, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Is that people choose? They don't have to hire a lawyer. Right. So people are actually choosing to go pro se. Right. So um, depending on the jurisdiction, eighty to ninety percent of uh, family law matters are there is no lawyer involved. Mm -hmm. And I mean, those are staggering numbers. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, eighty to ninety percent. That's and a lot of confused people uh, who are agreeing to a lot of things that are going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Exactly. Without good advice. Exactly. And a lot of it isn't that they criminal setting. You get you at least get a someone appointed to you, but divorce, not so much. And not it can, so it can much. be just as important in the course of your life. Absolutely, it can. Yep. And those are the things where why aren't we advocating? for ourselves to be the advocate for the client. So why aren't we saying, hey, I'm here, this is what I do, hire me because I will you know, eliminate all these problems in your life or help you know, reduce the number of, of you know, legal issues in your life. What we do is we're like, you know, we'll have somebody you know, who has this really bad legal problem, they'll Google it. Yeah. And then they'll pick a lawyer based on a Google ranking. Yeah. And literally, the studies I've seen is um, the difference between you getting the work and not getting the work is how fast you pick up the phone. Oh, good Lord. So if you pick up the phone first, you're more likely to be hired. Yeah. And that's how Jerry Maguire lost all his clients. Do you remember that? I remember that scene. <laughs> Except for uh, Cuba, he's stuck with him, Rod Tidwell. But, but it's that whole mentality of like we're almost yeah li life it shouldn't be a race to the phone like that's no that's silly no or it shouldn't be that we're too good to you know they'll find us we're so good our work speaks for itself yeah. when there's so much noise out there no one's hearing you yeah welcome to 2019 unfortunately lawyers are, are always seem to be sort of last to the party when it comes to a lot of things like I, I mean I just remember we're 10 years behind yeah like uh, websites and like the way they market and advertise their services like even things like when corporate America um, went to casual dress in the 90s uh, some of some of which has kind of been ratcheted back but uh, lawyers were like the last like all these corporate lawyers decided wait a minute all of our clients are you know 
dressing like, uh, you know, Steve Jobs and not like, well, not with the uh, turtleneck per se. But anyways, they're all, <laughs> and they're they all, all in jeans. Yeah, they're all in jeans and they all are used to offices with foosball tables and maybe we better too. And anyway. It's, but the, the thing about that, it like the, the made news last week, I want to say Denton's just put jeans into their dress code. Mm. Like, and it made news because, oh, this law firm is like put, allowing yeah. their lawyers to wear jeans. And you're like, why, why in 2019 is that even news? <laughs> Slow news day. But yeah. it is because it's, it's the law firm. No, it is. You're, you're right. <laughs> that, that, that would, I mean, I would actually read that because that, I, I don't think I've ever been, or maybe I have, I'm trying to think. I mean, the, it's, some people will be surprised if you haven't been in a downtown corporate law firm about how you're, you're usually going to see someone dressed casually. Um, you're not going to see the full suit. You're going to see... Now, it's weird. They're always so crisp, though. It's like every, every, everything is just ironed. I don't know how you know... I don't know how you write that into the uh, dress code, but with the amount of money they make, I guess they can afford to buy uh, uh, a step up from the gap, right? <laughs> I guess. From pod617.com and Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP, it's Higher Ground featuring higher education attorney John Graff. We are dealing with issues that are breaking on an hourly basis sometimes in higher ed. What we wanted to do was actually bring the information to the listener at a time when it's convenient for them. Succinct, brief, punchy discussions with people who have experience and particularly through the lens of the people on the ground in higher ed. Higher Ground, presented by the law firm of Hirsch Roberts Weinstein LLP. Find all episodes at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. All right, so we're going to play a game called Good Stuff where we tell you what you should be listening to and consuming, and we got some really good ones, so let's play Good Stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. Kelly and I are both dancing. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You like that song? Yeah, just don't say the name of the band or they might sue us. No, I've, it's been altered enough. I've reviewed the copyright law. You'd be a perfect person to ask. But um, I think we're in the clear. Anyway, and if we're not, come at us. We'll change it to something else. So uh, good stuff. So let's, um, let's do yours first, Kelly, because yours is, is better than mine. So you just saw this documentary. So tell us what you just saw. Uh, so Monday night, uh, HBO had a great documentary called The Inventor about uh, Elizabeth Holmes and her now defunct company Theranos Mm -hmm. and uh, basically she um, scammed a lot of people with a fake blood testing machine Um, she at one point the company was valued at nine billion dollars she convinced a lot and I've seen this too yeah so I'm so psyched to talk to Kelly about it and see what she thought I just finished watching it uh, last night the um Yes, she convinced a lot of super rich, powerful people to sign on to something that was really speculative. We've got the trailer here. Let's take a quick listen to the trailer. What do you dream for? That less people have to say goodbye too soon to people they love. I had heard about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. But you know, her story is so compelling. She was going to herald a revolution in medical treatment in this country. 
It was obviously such an incredible story, a woman creating this $9 billion company. Everyone worshipped the ground she walked on. She could do no wrong. She was the next Steve Jobs. The idea with the Edison. Including the turtleneck. The lab inside yep. the box. <laughs> she wanted Edison devices in every home in America. This could be the apple of healthcare. You all are part of something that is going to change our world. What higher purpose is there? Elizabeth came to me and she described her idea. It's impossible, physically. <laughs> yeah, well, you get the point. We don't have to watch the whole trailer. But so the the point is that it didn't work. They're never completely specific in the documentary about kind of what didn't work and what didn't, to me anyway. Maybe I wasn't paying close attention. So but. basically what I believe is it didn't work. Um, <laughs> in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Yeah. No, it's um, the law. Like somebody said in the documentary, you would have to bend the laws of physics in order to make the machine yeah. work properly. And not only that, like, so she was, her whole thing was you could take a, a small prick on your finger, um, small amount of blood, put that cartridge with the blood in it into right. this machine. Called Edison. And yeah. it could um, literally give you like over 200 lab results. Right. In, and it's supposed to be almost instantaneous. But And you could do this in a Walgreens. You could walk yeah, into well, the that Walgreens. Well, that's what they, so they, they partnered with Walgreens for the testing, but that was basically it. Or her vision was we'd have this in our home. So like we could go to our own blood lab. It's crazy. Like, and yeah. I always say like, well, what's that going to do for me? What am I going to know about my hemoglobin or yeah. my... <laughs> right. Like, am I going to actually? I can't prescribe medicine, so yeah. what? So I still have to go you, to the doctor. You can see it's a very enticing idea, though. Like, like, and with all everything happening with technology, you could yes. see how people were like, "Well, yeah, I could see that existing." I mean, if we can, if we can talk to someone on the other side of the planet through our phone, exactly. Then why not? Why cannot we dream up this machine that can prick our finger and tell us two hundred things about? It? Someday it may be reality, man. But I the, know, uh, but I believe the reality was for certain tests you you need more than a drop of blood. Right. Like some tests you actually need the... The needle, yeah. The needle. And, but they were saying they could do tests. And they actually were saying too, some of the tests, like you needed a whole different type of testing mechanism yep. to, to actually test for what they were saying. Like one was flu. Well, flu, it's like a nasal swab or a cheek swab. Yep. You, you don't even test in it in blood, but they were right. saying like they could do these things. So there was some part of it that was, but they, the, what, what it came down to is it never was able to work. Right. And, um, and as you heard, like it's yeah. almost impossible to make this machine work. So, so. this is a true story. So the whole, whether this is a spoiler or not, I guess is a gray area, but there may be some mild spoilers in here. Cause I really want to talk to Kelly about what she thought about this. Uh, com the woman is compelling. You, you just mentioned to me before that, um, she doesn't. She doesn't blink. Somebody says, "I noticed she doesn't, doesn't blink. blink." There's something weird and robotic about her. And then her voice is sounds something like an evil Muppet or something. So if you actually like Google it, yeah, it, her voice was kind of the star of the show. Like a lot of people were tweeting about it and right. on social media about it. And I guess if you know her, 
that's not her real she voice. She doesn't actually talk like that. That's amazing. That's fascinating. So she actually puts on a very deep voice. And my conclusion was, because she, she dresses it's, like it's Steve funny. Jobs. She dresses like Steve Jobs. Her voice is actually just like Fran Drescher's, ironically. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you it's imagine not, now? Oh, that would be the worst. How come our machine's not working? Wait a minute. The phone's on. Let me reiterate yeah. that at Theranos. Yeah. And it's that, but it's like, <laughs> so... It, it kind of there's this thread where it's a fake machine. She's taking all this yeah. money. There's a and then all of a sudden, like in your voice is fake. Like yep. what? Where? Where's this going? Right. Like how? How? This can't end well. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And um, so all along in the documentary, you, you can tell like it, it documents her so-called success on the way up, but there's always right. something lingering below, like you know something's going to go well, terribly Well, because you know the end. So like I was right. telling my husband, I'm like, they must have, obviously she was. they filmed this when she was on the rise. There are scenes in the in the documentary where right. the, they filmed it when Theranos was this unicorn, was this $9 billion unicorn in Silicon Valley. Right. It's one of the big pluses of the documentary that a lot of documentaries don't have. You hear directly from the person that they're... Exactly. So you, like, she's interviewed, but it's before the downfall. Right. So you hear the, um, I guess the lies. Yeah. Uh, You know, so, you know, the lies straight from the the person. Um, So it's not like a hearsay thing. It's it's her saying these things. So my question for you is the same question they pose at the end of the documentary without truly answering it. And that is, was she a compulsive liar or did she believe all along that she was on the way to creating this device and just never quite got there? I like it to be the last part of right. it, but I think it's the first part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, she was, that was it, 19 years old when she dropped out of Stanford. It's like kind of like yeah. the Steve Jobs story. <laughs> well, I talked to my rich grandparents and told them I was dropping out of but Stanford. But it's this weird, it's this, I know from other things that she had an obsession with Steve Jobs. Right. And just like him, just like him. She yep. and it, it's funny in the documentary they say, "Well, you dress like Steve Jobs." She's like, "Steve Jobs wears jeans." Oh yes, because like, so she wears black pants in the black turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, but big leap, yeah, yeah, big leap there. It's like, <laughs> no, you kind of do. Yeah, and it's I I think it's um. So you don't, but you don't think she started this whole thing as a scam straight from the beginning? Do I you? think it started as a lie, and it took on a life of its own, yeah. and. It just kind of snowballed into yeah. something, and whether whether she actually is like pathological or right. she's or it's just she it, believes the lie. She may believe the I lie. I think so. she actually yeah. does believe the lie. So it, you can draw a comparison to. Have you seen either of the documentaries about the fire festival? Yes. So can you draw a comparison to that guy? So the the organizer of the fire festival, whose name escapes me at the moment convinced um, tons of people to sign up for this exotic um, music festival on a private island, or maybe it wasn't private, doesn't matter, tropical island, and um, he clearly did never truly had his act together. There was not enough places for people to sleep. The food wasn't there. Like All along in watching those documentaries, I got the feeling that he th- he actually thought at the beginning he was going to pull off this whole thing. I agree. I think he thought like this was going to happen, but it just was something bigger than he could e- right. he could handle. Like and he couldn't fit, he just couldn't handle the logistics of 
pulling this off. Right. And instead of bailing, he just doubled down. He doubled down. And he asked people for more money. Well, I thought money would solve the problem. Right. Like, oh, if I just get this money, I can hire somebody to build the tents or to get the food. Yeah, it was a classic bad money after bad money. Exactly. Like, rather than saying, I can't do this, I'm in over my head. Mm -hmm. And I think in her case, though, she... she really believed she was going to change the world. There's yep. something like she believed the lie. There's one point in the documentary that I actually thought was manipulative. Now, all documentaries are manipulative <laughs> to a degree. Of course. And they want this is a compelling story about someone whose company went from whatever billion to zero, like literally to zero. So you're going to tell that story. But they do this thing where after it becomes clear that things are falling apart and people are starting to suggest that she is a charlatan. They flash back to moments where she's telling her story about her, what was it, a grandparent that she lost? Uh, Her uncle. Her uncle that she lost and maybe could have spent more time with them if some blood detection amazing thing had gone. I thought that was a little manipulative because as far as we know, the story about the uncle is true, right? So, Or isn't it? No, she had an uncle (laughs) who who died of of cancer and her point was had he been able to test his own blood he would have discovered it earlier and, and been, spent his time differently and, yeah. or been saved like he oh, right. like okay. he would have discovered it at better, stage yeah. one as opposed to stage four what like right right um but if you read uh the book okay it's basically she had very she, she used this sob story of this lo- this beloved uncle, and he wasn't necessarily beloved. She yeah. didn't really have a relationship with him. But the thing was, she that was her kind of her um, her TED talk. Like that's the right. story she would tell in any event where she was the speaker was about her her uncle dying, and so it was her it was her story. Yeah, um, it All was right. her sad story. So I don't feel bad for her anymore. Fine. <laughs> so, but it, it's, it, if it were, I, but she did have an uncle, he did die of cancer. Right. It wasn't like it So it wasn't was, the big, it wasn't. It wasn't the, false. On it her. It wasn't, she didn't make up an uncle who died of cancer. On her list of sins, it probably falls down kind of low compared to some of the other shit that she pulled. <laughs> well, I think the biggest sin was they actually did get this into Walmart. Oh, sorry, right. no, Walgreens. They got into Walgreens for testing and they couldn't test for the machine couldn't do what it said it was going to do so um, they couldn't even do the finger prick so they were needle sticking you know they were taking um, the blood via the vein they were FedEx yeah, people, it people went their, in thinking they were getting the finger prick it's like no you got the needle it's like well I could have gone to the doctor and got the that. needle yeah but they were they weren't even doing the test with the machine they were FedExing the the, right. the blood and they were actually testing on commercial grade real blood you know yeah. you know uh, equipment i imagine so, that there were these empty shells of of machines labeled edison and they were just used to store cupcakes or something that was <laughs> you could you could just have it there you know cuz the cuz the machine didn't work no right? the machine didn't work yeah. and what kills me though is how many people knew the machine didn't work and this is where the lawyer part of me got really mm. angry was how they used the lawyers to um, in the non-disclosure agreements, the non-disparagement clauses, how the, any dissent whatsoever was met with a, a, a letter from a lawyer yeah. saying, we will sue you and you will lose everything if you say anything bad. So a lot of people knew things were happening. Didn't you love the moment where, was it Howard Schultz? The, the, the uh, for, uh, George Schultz. George Schultz, sorry. George Schultz, former Secretary of State, State yep. who was one of the big investors. 
He but, was chairman of the board. He was chairman of the board. But wait, was he the guy who came to the defense of his grandson? That was a different guy. No, not until he never came to the defense of the grandson. But wasn't he the one that said, like, did they send in lawyers? And he said, I wouldn't call them lawyers. I'd call them animals. That was, but that was after the downfall. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but up until no, he got fooled. Yeah, he got fooled like everybody else. He got yeah. fooled. Not only that, though, his grandson worked at the company, went to his grandfather, and said, "This is not right. Right, things are bad at yep. Theranos. This things don't work." And the she was such a manipulator yep. that he's like, "Well, no, but Elizabeth tells me this and that, and I be- and basically I believe her." Yeah, and that's the part of it that's kind of weird because there are there are parts of the documentary where people just are like, "Oh my God, it's Elizabeth Holmes!" Yeah, it's like, like a cult. It's, it's like, like they're following they, Jim Jones drinking the Kool Aid. No, yeah. they are because the, yeah. there's this scene where she has to convince um, the state of Arizona to let people. Um, get their own blood work because normally you need a doctor's uh, to authorize blood, you know, a blood lab. Mm -hmm. And, but there's this scene where the guy is just before some committee, probably for the Arizona, you know, legislature. And this guy's just like, his eyes, his face, it's like he's looking at like a Obsessed rock star yeah. or something. It's like, oh, like your words have compelled me to yeah, like, right, 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 right. and I'm just like, she, it's weird. Yeah. Like she's got this power over, and everyone talks about, like even he talks about the um, George Schultz's grandson yeah. talks about, I left and I was going to, I went into her office and I'm going to tell her that blah, 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 this isn't working and this is bad and yeah. all this stuff. And he goes, and I left and I'm like, Oh, like it's all good. Everything's <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, "What just happened? How did yeah. this happen to me?" I just like that one time when Schultz stuck up for his grand because he's like they yeah. sent in the goon. He's like, "I wouldn't call them lawyers. I call them animals." animals. And then there was almost like a little physical uh, altercation there. Like, but it, what it, kills me there is they spent half a million dollars defending him. I know that's where investors. You want to know where your money went? It went to the it went, sh- yeah. lawyers. It went to David Boys. Yeah. So it was a happy ending after all. The lawyers win. Right, there are all Absolutely. your clients going. <laughs> it didn't have to be this way, though. Just go find a company yeah. that's doing something a little shady and defend their non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, what a disaster, though, man! What, oh, a, dis- I agree. what a disaster. Um, anyway, so you should definitely watch it. The Inventor on um, HBO. HBO. <laughs> Sorry, that was way too loud. Let's, loud. let's let's do that again. It's on HBO. Sorry, I blasted your ears. Okay. Uh, anyway, check it out. Thank you so much. Uh, that will. Uh, I was going to give a recommendation for my good stuff, but that was such a good conversation. I think we're going to leave it at that. I'll save my one for the next time. That was good stuff. And um, so, I hope you had fun today. This is awesome. Good. Now I remind you: get in touch with Kelly. She's awesome. Uh, Kelly at logicate.com. Uh, any lawyers you know who need their game stepped up, who need to be made into a star, this is your woman. So thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. We remind you that you can find all past episodes at pod617.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. By the way, if you go to iTunes and just search for pod617, you'll see all the shows that we produce. By the way, get your own podcast. What are you waiting for? They're great. They're a great way to market your services, invite your clients and other important people as guests on your show. And mind you, it's a lot of fun. Recorded right here at our studios in Westwood, Massachusetts. Check us out at pod617.com. But most importantly, 
Thanks for listening, kids. If you like this, share it with a friend or a colleague. It's free for crying out loud. See you next time on the Boston Podcast, and enjoy your day, Boston. Boston.